Well, good morning, church. If this is your first time here, if you're new to Cross Life East, my name is Doug, and I'm the East Campus Pastor, and we're thrilled that you are here this morning. Today, we're going to continue in our series called The Mystery of Christmas, and Advent series. And I know when we talk about Advent, for many of you, maybe you grew up in the church, and Advent something you're very aware of. Maybe for some of you, you're not quite so sure about Advent. I just want to remind you that the word Advent just means the coming or the arrival. That's all that word means. And so at every, across the globe, Christians come together this time of the year as we celebrate Christmas, and we talk about the first Advent, the first coming of Christ, how, how Jesus stepped out of heaven and was born uh, through a virgin named Mary and came in the world and, and as a baby in a manger, and we celebrate the first coming or arrival of our Lord. So that's what we mean when we talk about celebrating Advent. But with the celebration of the first Advent, as Christians, we also look forward to what? The second Advent, that one day Jesus is coming again, Amen. That he's coming in, and we look forward to that, and we long for that. So as we come to the season where we celebrate Advent, what we're talking about, what we're celebrating is the first coming of Christ, as well as we long for and look to the second coming of Christ. Now, when you come to Advent, Advent has many elements that surround the kind of the, the, the nature of Advent. And one of those is the evergreen wreath. And the evergreen wreath is just a representation of the eternal life that we have in Christ. But inside this wreath, there are five candles, the candle of hope, love, joy, and peace. And these four candles represent something that we all long for, don't we? Every single one of us long for, uh, we long for hope. We long to experience love. We look for joy. We desire peace in our lives. And the reason we have a fifth candle and the middle candle and the tallest candle is the Christ candle. Because what we will realize today, as well as every other week, is the only place we can find hope, the only place we can find love, the only place we can find joy and peace is in the person of Christ. So that's what the Advent candle means. Now last week we lit the first candle, the candle of hope. And I hope you remember last week as we talked about hope, we kind of mentioned the idea that in the world we live in, that word hope has kind of lost a little bit of its significance. In the world we live in, hope is kind of that notion of wishful thinking, right? Like, I hope she says yes, right? Or I hope I get that job. Or I hope I get that promotion. And so hope for many of us in the world we live in is nothing more than wishful thinking. But what we established out of the get-go was that's not a biblical definition of hope. The biblical definition of hope would be this. Hope is being certain and expectant that God's going to deliver on his word. That's what hope is. That if God has said it, guess what? He's going to do it. Do you believe that this morning? If God says it, he's going to do it. That's hope. And, and as we live in this world, and even for us, as we wait for his second coming, we're called to live in waiting. We're called to wait in hope. And as we wait, we need to remember this. That while we are waiting, God is orchestrating. That while we're in a season of wait, God is still on the move. Amen? And so we lit the hope candle. And today, Craig and Jill lit the love candle. And love is like one of those English words, much like hope, that has greatly lost its significance. We use it in a way that's very different from a biblical definition of love. In fact, the word love in our world today can be summarized as things that you have a strong um, fondness toward or something you like a whole lot, right? So we love our cars. We love our homes. Some of you might love your job. 
And with the same breath, we love our family and we love God. And we say that word love, and it kind of encompasses all those things. And what we find out is that, let's be honest for a moment, that when you say you love God with the same mouth that you said that you loved your car, is there a problem with that? I mean, because there's no differentiating between the two. And so the worldly view of love is this notion of just things that you really like a whole lot. Well, let me just say this to you. I hope that your like for your car does not compare to your love for your family. I hope that your fondness of your home doesn't compare to the adoration and love you have for your heavenly father. And so we need to be able to to function on a biblical definition of love. And here's what I want you to write down. Here's the biblical definition of love that we're going to use this morning. It's an unconditional affection and devotion to someone. That's love. Biblical love is an unconditional affection and devotion to someone or to something. Now, here's what that means. If it's unconditional, that means it's not earned, right? If it's unconditional, that means it's not necessarily deserved. If it's unconditional, that means you don't get it because you work for it. You don't get it because you perform for it. You don't get it because you're worthy of it. Unconditional means I give it to you just because. And love is an unconditional affection and devotion to someone. So can you feel that way about your car? Do you feel that way about your house? I would ask about your animals, but that might be alarming to us. But I mean, we shouldn't feel that way about a lot of things in the world today. But the one that deserves our unconditional affection and devotion is King Jesus, right? And so that's what biblical love is. And if you were to look at the Christmas story, if there's one resounding message in the Christmas story, it's the message of love. And it's the message of God's love for us, for you, and for me. I was speaking to a really esteemed group this week at the Orange County Academy of kindergartners through about fourth grade, and I was talking to them about this notion. And I said, you know, one of my favorite things about Christmas and about the Christmas story is who the angels first showed up to. Do you know who they first showed up to? The shepherds. The shepherds. The guys that were marginalized. The guys that nobody wanted. The guys that if you were to invite people to your birthday party, you weren't inviting them. And the angels and the Lord said, listen, the first people I want to hear about the birth of my Savior are the nobodies, the have-nots, the ostracized, the marginalized, those that nobody wants. That's who I want to know. And the angel said this, I bring you good news of great joy that is for all, everybody say all, all people. And with this announcement, the message of Christmas is it's for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what you experience. The love of God is as much for you as it is the person sitting beside you. And so if there's one resounding message of Christmas, it's the message of love. And the message of God's love for humanity and God's love for you and God's love for me. But it's not only a message of God's love for us, it should compel us to realize that if God loves us and we understand that, we should be compelled to what? Love others. If you're around here long enough, we have a phrase we like to say, love God and what? Love people. That's what we want to be about. And so that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at a passage of scripture that will not only remind us of the depth of God's love for you and for me, but will also challenge us 
and how we're loving other people. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to a non-traditional uh, Christmas story, a non-traditional Christmas passage in 1 John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, <coughs> 1 John chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. And once you turn there, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of reading God's Word. 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. Once you get to that passage, we'll give you a moment. Let's just read this together. John says this to the early Christians. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever love has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is what? Love. In this love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If, love, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray. God, I love you, and I thank you for today, and I pray as we come to this passage, Lord, that you would open our eyes to the truth of it, that we might see with clarity this morning the very things you need us to know, that as we consider your love and how much you loved us, God, would it compel us to love others that same way? So God, would you just speak to us this morning? It's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we look at this passage, there are really four things I want you and I to see with me this morning. Four things I want us to pick up on. And the first thing I want us to know is the command of love that we see in the passage. There's a command to love one another. In fact, go back to verse 7. It says this, beloved, let us love one another. That phrase, let us, does not mean, hey, if you think about it, let's do this together. The phrase, let us, is a command. He's like, I'm telling you what you need to be doing. While I'm encouraging you the way I'm saying it, it's a command in the Greek language. So he says, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And the command that John gives these early Christians, and the command that he's going to give us today is this, is that we are commanded to love God one another, that we're to have an unconditional affection and devotion to one another. Did you hear me? We're to have agape kind of love to one another. We're to unconditionally show affection and and devotion to one another. Now, is that easy to do? You're like, well, that's a trick question, Doug. No, it's not a trick question. Is that easy to do? Come on, church. No, because here's what I know about you is what I know about me. People have hurt you before, right? Anybody not been hurt in a room? You've been hurt by somebody, right? Or you've got people, anybody got somebody in your life that they just annoy the, day, the living daylights out of you? I mean, come on, anybody like that? And if you know what I'm going to say, if your hand doesn't go up, you're that person we're talking about, right? You got somebody that just annoys you to death. I mean, they just flat out annoy you. Or maybe, listen, maybe, and especially in the climate we live in now, maybe they just have a different political opinion to you and you don't like that. Or maybe they have a different worldview than you have, and you say, okay, I'm called to love one another, but Doug, what if I just don't like that person? What if they've hurt me? What if I don't get along? What if when I, the, very, the very sight of seeing them makes me want to be nauseous? I mean, Doug, I just don't, I just don't, listen, it doesn't matter. Is, that, is there like a loophole in the command here? Let us love one another, unless they've hurt you. 
Let us love one another unless they're a Democrat or Republican. Let's not do that. And let's love one, love one another unless they have a different worldview than you have. Let us love one another if they've never really... I mean, is there any loophole in this? There is a command to love one another. Not strongly care for them, but to show unconditional affection and devotion to one another. Now, if John were just to kind of finish the letter with that one thought and close it, we would all be a little upset by that, right? Because like, okay, if you're telling me to love one another, there's got to be more to it, John. Well, John does something fascinating. John gives us some reasons why we're to love one another in that same passage. Look at me back in verse 7. He says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. The first reason we're commanded to love one another is that love is from God. That love is from God. That, that the very core of who our Heavenly Father is, that God is love. Right? You believe that this morning? It's part of the very nature of God that he's love. The source and foundation of love is God. It is at the very essence, his character and his nature. Love is defined by saying his name, Yahweh. He is love. And if that is the nature of God as believers, should we not want to reflect the nature of God? Sure we should. And one reason we're commanded to love one another is because love is from God. Love is his nature, and as believers, we want to reflect that nature. But he gives another reason that we're to love one another, command to love, is that love bears evidence that we belong to God. It bears evidence that he says this, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Let's go to the next verse if we can. And whoever loves has been what? Born of God. In other words, I want you to love one another. I'm commanding you to love one another. Here's why. Because not only is love from God, it's his nature and we should reflect it, but loving one another is evidence that you belong to God. Think about that. That our love for one another is a reflection that we are children of the Most High God. Now, John is not saying that you have to love others to be saved. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is this, as if you're truly saved, you will love others. Do you follow that? He's not saying you have to do something like love other people to be saved. But what he is saying is, if you're truly saved, you will love other people. And the love we have for other people is evidence that we belong to God. And he says, whoever loves, that verb loves does not mean a momentary love. It means an ongoing kind of love. I don't know about you, but the more I read this passage, the more I really don't care about it. I'm like, you know, I, this, this is a little bit annoying to me a little bit. Because I'm like, okay, John, there are people who have hurt me. There are people who do annoy me. There are people out there that I just quite frankly don't think they deserve my love because I got plenty of love to go around and they just don't deserve it. But none of that gives me an excuse not to love other people. We can find reasons to not love, but God's not okay with that. You say, well, God understands. No, he doesn't. He said in his word, through the apostle John, love one another. We are commanded to love one another because love is from God. It is his nature, but also because loving God, loving others, bears evidence that we belong to God. In fact, Jesus said it the best. They will know that you're my disciples by what? The love you have for one another. Now think about that. The world will know that Colby is a follower of Jesus Christ, not by what Colby says, not by the clothes that Colby wears, but by how Colby loves other people. 
The world will identify him as a follower of Jesus Christ by how he loves the world. Now listen, if we thought about that and we really considered that, that should maybe lead a lot of us to a little shame this morning, right? Because a lot of us, when we think about go, going through the lines and the, and the, the produce aisles and the, the traffic lights, and some of you we will talk about later, but going through those moments in life, some of us don't really show love to other people. We show intolerance to other people. We show impatience to other people. We show anger and wrath to other people. Now listen to me. Does love speak truth? Yes, but it does it graciously. Does love confront? Yes, but it does it in a godly way. We are called to love one another, and loving one another, when we love others, it bears evidence that we belong to God. He gives us a third reason why we're commanded to love one another. is because love bears evidence that we know God. Let's go back to the verse. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves God has been born of God, means that you belong to him, and knows God. Now, this word know in the Greek language does not mean a head knowledge. It doesn't mean an awareness or an acknowledgement. The word knows here literally means an intimacy. In fact, this Greek word comes from a Hebrew word that's used in the book of Jeremiah and other places. It's the Hebrew word yada. Have you ever heard the expression yada, yada, yada? That means nothing, but that's what I'm talking about. It's the word yada, and the word yada means an intimacy knowing like between a husband and a wife. Like when the two become one flesh, that would be yada. That would be they knew or they know each other. That's what John's talking about. That I'm commanding you to love one another. Here's why. Because first of all, that's part of God's nature. And you need to be a reflection of his nature. Another reason we're commanded to love God is because it bears evidence you belong to him. That you are a child of God. But a third reason that we're commanded to love is because in loving other people, it's a reflection and evidence that we know God. Meaning that we intimately know the heart of God. Now some of you would say, well, wait a minute, Doug. I don't know that I know the heart of God. Yes, you do. It's right here. Right? Like when I, read, when I read the words of Jesus, one of the words that I find most interesting when, of Jesus is when he stands there and he looks at the people and he says this. He says, when I see people, here's what I see. People that are harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Do you see people that way? You know what, how we see people? They're in my way. They drive way too slow, right? I mean, we come up with all this stuff. Listen, no, no. Yeah, exactly. Here's the thing. The, the reality is when we love others, it bears evidence that we have an intimate relationship with God Almighty. So what you may be thinking, okay, Doug, what, what if I'm not loving people the way you're talking about? Maybe that relationship's not as intimate as you thought it was. Maybe you don't know enough of the heart of God as you should. Because when you read scripture, the heart of Jesus is very simple. He loved people. He saw them harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. When you go to your publics or you go out to eat, do you see people who are having a bad day? Do you see them as a nuisance? Or do you see them as harassed and helpless looking for a savior? See, how you view people will change how you interact with people. Amen? And if you view them as a project or a nuisance, you will treat them that way. But if you view them as someone harassed and helpless who needs a Savior, you will treat them that way. He says, first of all, he gives us a command to love. He says, I want you to love one another because it reflects the nature of God. It bears evidence that you belong to God and that you know God. Here's a better way of saying it. If you and I truly say that we love God, it should be evident in how we love other people. Listen, if we're not loving other people, we probably don't have as much love for God as we thought we did. 
right? So the first thing John does is he starts with this command to love. And then the second thing I want you to notice in the passage is we see that John doesn't stop there. John just doesn't drop this command and go, okay, peace out and walk away from the letter. He starts to listen, I realize you're going to struggle. I realize that what I'm telling you, and listen, if we were all honest, what John is telling us to do is just quite frankly not that easy to do. Yes, do we want to reflect the nature of God? Yes. Do we all want to, to live in such a way that people go, they belong to God? Yes. Do we all want to have an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father? Absolutely. But do we want to love people in such a way like we have been loved? Mm, not sometimes. So he knows it's hard. So John doesn't stop there. And here's what John does secondly. He gives us an example of this kind of love. Look at me in verse 9. Look what he says. In this love, this, this love, and this love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. The example of love that John gives us is the love of our heavenly father. And one thing that I loved about what John says here is that typically when we think about the love of God, what's the first thing that comes to the mind? The cross, right? Isn't that what most of us think? The cross, of, I mean, where my mind goes is how Jesus died for me. And is that a reflection of God's love? Absolutely. But you know what John does? John says, listen, God's love was manifest, yes, in the cross, but it was also manifest in the birth. That when Jesus became one of us, John says it this way in John chapter 1, that the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. That when Jesus became one of us was a reflection and a demonstration of God's love for us that was fulfilled on the cross. Are you with me on that? That even the birth of Jesus reflects the love of God he has for us. And he wants us to know this. In fact, he wants us to know this basic truth. That God gave. That the example of God's love is that God gave. God gave his son. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus, king of kings, lord of lords, royalty, on his throne, stepped out of glory to become like you and to become like me. Is that love? I'd say so. God gave. And listen, God just didn't give. God gave his only what? Begotten son. He gave his one. He gave his most prized possession. And I've said this before. It wasn't like he had a litter to pick from. He gave his only begotten son. He gave his most prized possession. Why? Because he, that we might live through him. Did you see that in the passage? Look with me again in verse 9. Did you see what he said there? In this, the love of God that was manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God gave the most prized possession that he gave. Why? Because he loves us. And he wanted you and I to have eternal life with him. Now, is that love or is that love? And John, while he's challenging these early Christians and commands them to love, right here he gives them an example of love. Because like, here's what John knows. There's no way the way we love other people can even come close to, mod to, to exemplifying the way, that Jesus, the, the way the Father loved us by sending his son Jesus. There's no way that our love can compare to the way that our Heavenly Father has loved us. And what we learn in these verses is that love always demands giving of yourself. Love always demands giving of yourself. That's the example of love, that love always demands giving of yourself. Did God give of himself? Come on, church, talk to me. Did God give of himself? Yes, he did. And that means if we're going to love other people, do we have to give of ourselves? 
Okay, Doug, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It means maybe your time. Maybe you've got to give up some time to love on somebody. Maybe you've got to give up some resources. Maybe there's some things that there are needs there that you financially can help, and you've got to give up those resources. Or here's what it may mean for some of you. Now, listen to me. For some of you, that may mean giving up your hurts. See, here's what I know, starting over with Rachel, working all the way over here to sign in this side, or Izzy on this side of the room. Here's what I know about us. All of us have had hurts in life. You know what? We've all had them, haven't we? We've all had disappointments in life. We've all got spiritual battle scars, don't we? But here's what I want you to know about your battle scars. They weren't designed for you to keep to yourself. That when you get healthy and you get healed from those scars, God wants us to use those scars to help other people. And for some of you, you've been hurt by some things. Some things have happened in your life that have knocked you off your horse, and you've worked through them, and God has healed you, and God has restored you. And God wants you to use your story and give of yourself to maybe somebody else. Maybe somebody else in this very room is going through what you went through, and God has healed you from it, and they need your wisdom. You ever thought about that one? Well, no, Doug, my story's insignificant. No, it's not. I promise you, somebody else has gone through it too. And so what we learn about this example of love is that love always demands giving of ourselves. Maybe it's our finances, maybe it's our time, or maybe it's our hurts that we share with other people. And then he goes on from there and moves to the third thing, which is the sacrifice of love. Look at me in verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So when he talks about the example of love, he talks about the love of the father. And when he talks about the sacrifice of love, he talks about the love of who? The son, right? And did you pick up on what John said? He says that God loved us first. See, listen, God didn't send his son into the world because somehow he felt that we loved him and cared about him, and reciprocating that, he decided to send his son. No, 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 God loved you and I first. God is the initiator of love. He loved us even when we did not love him. He loved us, and he gave us his son as a free gift from him. We couldn't deserve it. We don't earn it. There's nothing about it that we can muster up on our best day to receive the love of God. He just gave it to us. Do you see John saying that there? God loved us first. And he said, in this love, he sent his son not only to be born and to live a sinless, perfect life, but he sent his son to become a really big church word here, propitiation for us. Now, let's just say that together. You ready? Propitiation. Now, say it like you want to spit on somebody. You ready? Propitiation. There you go. Okay. That word just means this, basically. He died in our place. Jesus took our place on that cross. He paid our sin debt. This idea of propitiation just means that God said, I'm going to put my son, he's going to pay the price for the penalty of your sin, and you're not going to have to pay. Now think about that. That means that Jesus took on our judgment so that we might have the Father's forgiveness. Think about that. Jesus took on the wrath of his father and took on our judgment that would have condemned us to hell just so that we might have the forgiveness of our heavenly father. See, here's what I hope we learn from this sacrifice of love is that love always requires sacrifice. Love always requires it. If we're going to say that we love other people, love always requires sacrifice. Doug, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. Jesus, in this moment, he died on the cross. He stood up for you and I. He stood beside us 
He stood for us. He stood with us. He knew that he could only pay a debt that we could never pay. And if we're going to say that we love other people, love will require us to sacrifice too. There's times in life when we say we love other people that we got to stand up for them. we got to stand beside them. We have to walk a journey with them. That's what it means to love them. And what we need to learn from what John is saying is that if we truly are going to follow this command to love, love always requires giving something up of ourselves, but it also requires sacrifice. Now, I just want to be frank with you just for a moment. For many of us, that's where we check out, right? Because we will love people when it's convenient. We'll love people if it, we have time. We'll love people if it doesn't require too much of us. And that's not at all what John is saying here. Do you think Jesus dreamed of just, you know, like you think the greatest desire of the Savior of the world is to die on a cross, a brutal death, to die a sinner's death even though he was sinless? No, but he did it. Why? Because he loved us. He didn't go, well, I don't have time for those people. No, no, no. He came down for these people, Right? And John gives us an example of the love of the Father and the sacrifice of love of the Son. And he says, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to love people where you give of yourself. I want you to love people where you sacrifice and stand up for people, stand with people, and stand for people and walk a journey with them. But then if we're, if we're on that fence right there, then John gives us one more thing. And it's a motivation to love. Look with me in verse 11 and 12 as we close. The motivation to love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected. So here's what John says as the motivation. If God has loved us like this, shouldn't his love motivate us to love others the same way? Did God give his son for you? Yes. Did Jesus die on a cross and sacrifice for you so that we could have a relationship with our heavenly father? Yes. And if he has given of himself and he has sacrificed himself, if we're truly going to love other people, giving and sacrifice have to be part of the story for us. And the motivation of love is this. If God has loved us like this, we may need to be motivated to love others the same way unconditionally. So you think about this. Here's what I want us to learn from these last two verses. That once we begin to appreciate God's love for us, once we really begin to wrestle with the depth and the width of how much God loves us, that it would motivate us to love other people. Now, the thing I want you to ask yourself this morning is this, is will you do it? See, the command to love that John gives the early church, same command for us. We're commanded to love one another because it reflects the nature of God, because it is evidence that we belong to him and that we know him. But at the end of the day, I mean, the example of love is this, is that if we're going to love other people, it's going to require us to give of ourselves. It's going to require us to sacrifice some things. But will we love other people because we have first been loved by God? And the question I think all of us have to answer is, will we do that? Now, I want to share something that's a little bit uh, maybe embarrassing for just a moment. Um, and if you want to pull my man card, that's okay. I'm not bothered by it. I'm 48. I really don't care anymore. Um, I enjoy Hallmark Christmas movies. I do. I do. I know some of you are ready to yank the man card. I, I don't care. It doesn't matter. In fact, Sonia hates them. She makes fun of me all the time. And my oldest son makes fun of me because we all know. Yeah, come on, come on. You know this. Because some of you that are laughing, you watch them too. I know you do. And there's a whole bunch out this year. But anyway... Um, 
Uh, I watch one every night. I do. And you're like, Doug, that's just so stupid. I know it's stupid. And I know every single Hallmark movie ends exactly the same way. I know they do. The guy gets the girl. The girl gets the guy. The fame is restored. But you know why I enjoy them? I enjoy them because I see pieces of this in every one of those movies. I see pieces where there's friction and someone gives of themselves because they love the other person. I see moments when someone's ostracized and, and, and distraught and someone stands up for them and someone cares for them and someone walks a journey with them. I see that their motivation to, to give and to sacrifice is a reflection of the love that they felt. I see the truth of what I'm seeing so much in First John through these silly, crazy, ignorant Hallmark movies. And I love watching them because at the end of every movie, I feel like I'm celebrating the love that God has given me all over again. Now, some of you are convinced to start watching Hallmark. I'm not saying that. The point is this, is that when we come to Scripture, when we come to God's Word, there's got to be something that motivates us to truly love other people. And so if you're a follower of Jesus today, I want to ask you to check your heart this morning. Will you love others? Not just those that are lovable, not those that just you care about. Would you truly love other people? Or are you willing to give of yourself, maybe your story, your hurt, your pain, your resources, your time to show them that kind of love? Are you willing to sacrifice for other people? Maybe you've got to stand with them, stand for them, walk a journey with them. Are you willing to do that? And if not, will you consider the love that Christ has shown us? And would that be the motivation for you and for I that when we leave this building to say, you know what, I'm committed to love other people? Do people annoy me? Yes. Are people unlovable minds? Yes. Have I been hurt? Yes. Somebody here says yes, 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 yes. Yes. But I'm still called to love them. Why? Because when I love them, did you notice the last thing that John says? Look at the very verse 12, last thing. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is made perfect. In other words, when I choose to love others, it's the closest thing that people, before eternity comes, before they die, it's the closest thing that people will get to to actually see God is through you and me. Think about that. No one's seen God, but they can see his activity through us if we'll truly love one another. So if you're a believer, would you check your heart this morning? And maybe this morning you're here and you've never trusted Christ. You, you're like, you've heard about the love of God, but you've never surrendered to that today. Would you just say, yes, listen, I could go on and on and on. But I want to tell you this morning this, that God loved you so much that he wants to spend eternity with you. And he knew that you on your own merit couldn't get there. So over 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to Bethlehem to live a sinless, perfect life. That 33 years later, that he would go to a cross called uh, Golgotha and Calvary, and he would die on a cross, and in the midst of his dying, he would take on the weight of your sin and my sin, that all we have to do is put our faith in him, and we can have eternal life with him. And I'm just going to ask you this morning, if that's the love of God, and that's a free gift, would you just take the gift? See, if I had a big old honking gift up here this morning, and Cameron and I said, hey, I got this big gift, it's the most precious thing you will ever have, would you take that gift? you go, nah, I think I'll pass. What would you do, Cameron? Because if not, a Abby's going to take it, right? Abby's like, I'll go get that gift. Why? Because, it's listen, the most precious gift we could ever offer anyone on a Sunday morning or in part of our life is the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus. And if you've never trusted him, would you do that today? I'm going to ask you right now. Everybody stand with me, if you would. Everybody stand. 
And I'm going to ask you, just for a moment, everybody just close your eyes and just bow your heads. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And this morning, before we kind of go into this, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're just like, man, you're struggling, life has hit you hard, and you some prayers, uh, Kelly Belcher and, and, and Jason will be over here, and Pat and Willie will be on this side over here. There will be curtains pulled back. Uh, Pat and Willie will be to your left, and Jason and Kelly will be to your right. And you've just made somebody to pray over. You've got some junk going on. Please do that. But if you're a follower of Christ this morning, I want you to ask yourself and really call your heart into question about how well are you loving other people. And if that answer starts with, but, if, sort of, would we just repent this morning? (laughs) Would we just repent? Because listen, when we consider the magnitude of God's love for us, we should be on fire to show that same love to other people. And if there was ever a season in the world we live in where people need the love of God, it's now. So if you're a believer, would you just check your heart this morning? Maybe you want to come to this altar and just get before God. You feel free to do that. But just ask yourself the hard question, believer. Am I going to follow this command to love? Am I going to be willing to give of myself? Am I going to be willing to sacrifice? Am I going to be willing to be motivated by God's love that would compel me to love others? Just be honest. And then if you're here this morning, if you never trusted Christ, you've never received the love and the gift of Jesus, would you do it this morning? You can do it just by simply saying, Lord Jesus, I know that you love me. I know that you were born as a baby in a manger. I know that you lived a sinless, perfect life, and I know that you died on a cross for me. And today I surrender my life to you. I ask you to come into my life to forgive me my sins and to be my boss and master. And if you'll cry that out to him, he'll do it. And this very moment, you can have a relationship with Christ. And if you've made that decision, we'd ask you to take that card that's in your your, your rows there and fill it out or come find me after service or go uh, talk to Kelly and Jason or talk to Pat and Willie and just let them know that today is the day that you surrender to Christ. Whatever decision you make this morning, would you just make it? Would you just say yes? Father, I love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that John, through your inspiration, paints such a beautiful picture for us of, yes, the command to love, but Lord, he paints such a beautiful picture of your example of love, of your example of sacrifice. And then he challenges us to be motivated by that. God, I pray for some believers in the room. I pray that we would say, challenge accepted. That when we leave this place, when we leave this room, we are committed this next week to love people like we've never loved people before. But God, here's what I know. I know that we won't do that unless we're reminded and compelled by your love for us. So God, as we sing in just a moment, as we worship, May you remind us of the depth and the width and the intensity of your love for us. And may we have that same intensity as we go love others. So God, be with us. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, whatever you need to do this morning. If you need prayer, please go. Don't 
Don't be so prideful. They would love to pray with you. If you need to come to this altar, it's open. If you need to accept Christ, would you do that? But listen, what is the Lord speaking to you this morning? How is he nudging you? And how do you need to respond? My prayer is that you would be faithful to do that. And as we sing this morning, we're going to sing one of my favorite songs because it reminds us of the magnitude, the depth, and the power of God's love and what he's willing to do, listen, for you. Because he loves you. You're never too far gone. You're never too unlovely. You're never too loaded down with sin that he bails on you. He comes after us. Why? Because he loves us. So this morning, believers, would we rest in that? Would we enjoy that? And then would we be compelled to go demonstrate that as we leave this morning? So the Lord lead you. Would you be faithful to respond?